Well, good morning, Moncton Wesleyan. How's everyone doing this morning? Good, good. This has been a great week here at Moncton Wesleyan. We've had some really great things going on. We have uh, celebrated the lives of faithful people who have entered into eternal life. That's one of the things that we've done. Yep. Uh, we've banded together in crisis to find missing people, right? We've done that too, yeah. We've prayed together. Uh, we've cried together, some of us. We've laughed together. And then yesterday, worshiping and uh, serving together. What an awesome experience that was. That was really, really good. I'd say it's been a pretty good week, wouldn't you? <laughs> Open your Bibles if you have them and uh, grab Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. We're going to be reading the story of... Peter's healing of a crippled man, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part uh, in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting a gift. But Peter said, I don't have any money for you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankle bones were healed and strengthened. And he jumped up and he stood on his feet and he began to walk. Then walking, leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized that he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out to Solomon's colonnade where he was holding tightly to Peter and John. Everyone stood there in awe of the wonderful thing that had happened. Let's press the pause button there just for a minute. We're going to pick up verse 12 here in just just a moment. This summer we've been working through the book of Acts in a series that we're we're calling Going Viral. And this morning our priority is to consider the topic of healing of healing. I want to be honest with you this morning. I stand before you a little bit overwhelmed. A little bit overwhelmed. I know in a group like this that there are needs and prayers of all different kinds for healing. And there are intimate stories of suffering and pain and courage throughout this whole place. And so my prayer for us this week has been that we would be prepared to hear from God. And I want to do my best to aid that process this morning while honoring the uniqueness of each one of your particular situations. Truthfully, I feel the weight of that a little bit here this morning. And so let's trust God this morning to say what he wants to say and do what God wants to do here. Does that sound okay? Can we do that? Okay. So, uh, so let's start briefly this morning by addressing the context of our story. Contextually, here in Acts chapter 3, it's probably about 50 days, less than two months after Jesus' death and resurrection. 50 days, two months. It's about 10 days, maybe 
two weeks at the most, after Jesus has ascended into heaven. Two weeks, maybe. The great Pentecost event has just taken place a few days before. Days. At Pentecost, the disciples, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, allowing them to speak in tongues, you know the story, and be understood by people flooding to Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks. Peter seizes the opportunity, he preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people get on board. Boom. Instant church. Just like that. Last week, uh, Pastor Tim honed in on the character of this ancient community. Chapter 2, the very end of chapter 2, says that they devoted themselves in teaching. They ate and they prayed together. They, they witnessed miraculous signs and wonders. Radically, they sold their possessions. And these early days of the Christian church, no doubt, they continued to meet together in the temple, just beginning beginning to try to make sense and figure out how this brand new way of religious life as a Christ follower reconciled with the only way of religious life that they'd known under the law. And at the very end of Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says, each day the Lord added to their group, their number, those who were being saved. That's the historical context. That's the historical context. The healing story that we just read in Acts chapter 3 is the first recorded miracle of an apostle. Verse 2 says that Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple, and as they approach the temple gate called Beautiful, a crippled man begs for some money. Money, alms, if it took place today, it'd be like quarters, loonies. Peter and John, they look intently at the man. And they ask man, the man to look at them. Look at them. And then Peter replies, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter assists, the crippled beggar strains, and in, in, in an instant, strength pours into feet, and ankles and joints that for 40 days have never experienced this sort of sensation. The man stands, the man walks, the man leaps, and praising God, the man accompanies Peter and John into the busy temple court, a place that he'd never previously stepped foot in before. And those who see the man They're absolutely amazed. It says there in verse 11 that they're awestruck. In this awestruck crowd, they gather together in that busy temple court because people know something absolutely remarkable has actually just taken place. I want you to think with me for a moment. You're Peter, okay? You're Peter. The people are swarming. What do you say to a crowd gathering like that? What do you say to them? Some of you know who David Blaine is. Blaine is, uh, he's a popular illusionist and uh, an endurance artist, a contemporary Houdini, really. He's been known for his high-profile feats of fortitude. Blaine's been buried alive for a week. He's uh, been encased for three days in a block of ice. Uh, He's gone without food and hung in a locked box over London 
for 44 days. He's held his breath underwater for 17 minutes. True stories. Remarkable, really. These are death-defying feats, and, and Blaine has performed them all over the world. He, he's also made a name for himself as a street performer, shocking people with mind-bending card tricks. Perhaps you've seen them before. Part of Blaine's shtick is his deadpan personality. He's not showy. He's, frankly, socially awkward, if you've seen him or, or viewed him before. He's unimpressive, if not a little bit mysterious. Blaine C., almost without fail, he performs these dangerous acts and these astonishing feats, and then quietly he slips away, leaving his shocked onlookers to try to determine what it is that they have actually just seen. There's no explanation. There's no insight into what has actually taken place. The people gather. The people are amazed. The people gasp. There's shock and wonder. And then without notice or announcement, Blaine withdraws, leaving the people to wonder what in the world has just actually gone on. Well, this may be true of of David Blaine, but here in our story that we're just reading, the opposite is actually true. Something remarkable has happened. People are amazed They're captivated, and Peter wants the crowd to know precisely what's going on. There's no secrets here. There's no secrets. Let's read what he says then in Acts chapter 3, verse 12 and 20 to this astonished crowd. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd, people of Israel. What is so astounding about this? And why look at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power and godliness. For it is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate. Despite Pilate's decision to release him, you rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life. But God raised him to life. And we are witnesses of this fact. The name of Jesus has healed this man, and you know how lame he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has caused this healing before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what you did to Jesus was done in ignorance. And the same can be said of your leaders. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had declared about the Messiah beforehand, that he must suffer all these things. Verse 19, now turn from your sins. And turn to God so that you can be cleansed of your sins. Then wonderful times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will send Jesus your Messiah, to you again. Friends, we can take this sermon of Peter's and we can, we can turn it and we can squint at it and we can look at it way off from a distance, but there's no getting around it. This is a tough word. 
It's a strong challenge to the crowd to acknowledge and turn from their sin and turn to God. Remember, it's been less than two months since Jesus has died. And so when Peter says, you rejected this holy righteous one, you handed him over, you killed the author of life, this isn't metaphor here, friends. No, it's entirely plausible that he is looking right into the eyes of some in the crucify him crowd. And Peter was one of them. Something then tells me that they get the weight of what Peter has just said. And so there's a story of healing in verse 1 to 11. And there's a sermon that follows in verse 12 and following. It hit me this week as I was preparing that one can exist without the other. The story, see, forms the foundation for Peter's sermon that follows. They're actively intertwined. Read the sermon in isolation, and Peter has just done a good thing. But read and interpret them together, the sermon and the story, healing and sermon, and we discover a loving God who wants to heal. And more specifically, a compassionate God who wants to heal us from sin. Firstly, we encounter a God who wants to heal. Again, if we read the story apart from the sermon, then Peter is just a caring guy who heals someone who couldn't walk. But with the insight of the sermon, Peter actually makes it clear This is not the act of a good apostle. It's actually Jesus acting ostensibly through the Holy Spirit who is doing the healing. In verse 13, check it out. Peter says, listen, it's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our ancestors who has brought glory to Jesus by healing this man. And then even more explicitly in verse 16, Peter says, the name of Jesus has healed this man. Faith in Jesus has caused this healing before your very eyes. See, Peter's just a messenger. It's Jesus' message. It's Jesus' power. This healing points to him. The risen Messiah is the one who's present in this story. And friends, what kind of Messiah is he? What kind of Messiah is he? I submit this morning that he is the God who cares. He's the God who cares. And he is the God who heals. He is the God who intently looks at our deepest needs. Thousands of people walk by that lame man every single day for years, for decades. But on this day, outside that beautiful gate, having asked for money, verse 4 says... This man got God's full attention. God's fixed gaze, as it were. I'm sure that you have encountered a a beggar before. You've encountered people who are begging for money. I can remember uh, being in Ethiopia and being confronted by overwhelming poverty. Person after person begging, children 
adults, mothers, families. Christy and I had been advised before we arrived in Africa to actually avoid eye contact with some people. Not necessarily because they were unworthy of attention, but sadly, because there was no end to the need. See, we were tasked to focus on a particular ministry to which we were called. And humanly, we couldn't help everyone that we passed. Eye contact, see, raised expectations. Made people think that we could help them when we could not. You've been in situations like this before. It was so hard walking by moms holding babies and children in dirty, torn clothing, even if we were going to help others just down the street or in the next town, we were actually instructed to look away, to look away, avoid, avoid eye contact, keep walking, choose not to see. But friends, in this story, there is eye contact. There is between the healer and the man born lame. Their eyes lock on each other. Please hear me this morning. Some of you need to hear this. God sees you. God sees you. Maybe you picture God this morning as a a big, far-off, angry God linked to acts of punishment and and judgment. God is inattentive to your pain, to to your sorrow, to your sadness. He's disinterested in your wholeness. But friends, that's not the picture that we get from this story that we're reading here this morning. God does care. God loves you. God hears you. He sees you. He wants to heal you. God looks straight into your life this morning wherever you're at, because God cares about you. In fact, God knows your deepest needs. Think about that this morning. Our loving God knows. Question this morning. Prior to the lame man's healing, what was he doing? Feedback. What was he doing? He was begging. That's right. He was begging for money. Is it not fair for us to say... His intent was to be supported in the condition that he found himself in. Can we not say that? And really, few would fault him for doing this. We can be sure that this man had considered all of his conceivable options. Option one was being supported in his condition by a situation. Being supported in a situation where he was begging by a gate, gate beautiful, and calling on the Jewish tradition of almsgiving. That was option one. Option two was starving to death. Option one was much better option than the two dreadful options. The crippled man, see, he wanted to be supported in his condition. But catch this. A loving God wanted to completely change his condition. And Peter's response there in verse 6, it points to this. He says, look, I don't have money. 
but what I have, I'm going to give you. In essence, Peter is saying, sir, you're looking for something that you think will help you. But I've got something more. I've got something better. What you're looking for, it's, it's not irrelevant. It's just short-sighted. Go deeper. Go deeper. Look deeper. What you want from me is fine. But go deeper. I want to give you something more. You know, if we were to put my life and my thoughts on top of this, uh, in this screen, these three screens that are here, uh, I'd be embarrassed by how many times I've tried to convince God what I think I need is paramount. <laughs> Sound familiar? Shaking our fist at God. If I could just walk, God, I'd be happy then. If I could just get a little bit more money, I'd be able to get ahead. If I could just re- meet the right man or the right woman, then everything would fall into place. If I could just get that promotion, if I could just get some rest, if I could just have a child, then I'd be satisfied. If I could just get physical healing, then everything else would be fine. Listen, friends. Our loving God may, in fact, want to give us those things. He may want to give us those things. God cares. God cares. And some of us need to hear that truth across our hearts this morning. God cares. And God wants to bring healing. Our compassionate God looks intently at us this morning. He hears you, but listen. It takes more than we think to fill our souls. Way more. Friends, sometimes we're looking for silver and gold. We're looking for something physical, something emotional, something relational, something superficial. And our identity And our security is locked up in our condition. And Jesus says, look deeper. Look deeper. Look inward. Let me tell you what you really want. Catch this. Peter utilizes a miraculous healing event to point to a loving, attentive God. And then he takes advantage of a captive audience in a busy temple courtyard to say that the loving God who sees and the attentive God who cares, the author of life who was handed over to be disowned and killed and raised, doesn't just want to give us working legs. He wants to give us a clean heart. Friends, our physical needs, though important, are not our deepest needs. We need to feel the inside. We need God in there. 
We need the love of an attentive, caring God in here. And friends, the greatest obstacle to that is sin. Sin destroys our relationship with God. Sin cripples us. As difficult as physical pain and suffering is, it's not your primary problem. It's sin. I've been thinking all week, why in the world would Peter follow up a physical healing with a sermon like this? And then it hit me. It's the very same approach, the very same act, tactic, that he took a few days earlier when thousands gathered for Pentecost. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Sounds strikingly familiar to the sermon that we're looking at today. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter says, Each of you must turn from your sins... And turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, in both sermons, mere days apart, with laser beam focus, we're reminded that our greatest obstacle to a relationship with a loving God is sin. And the greatest healing is healing from sin. Facilitated by a loving God, friends, who cares for us. And so Peter calls the crowd in verse 19. And by extension, I believe that the Holy Spirit is calling us this morning to repentance. To turn from our sin and turn to a loving God. Now please hear me this morning. I'm not here to make us all feel bad, and stir up shame and go all wrath of God on us, okay? I don't believe that that is the way resolving our sin problem actually works. And so let me remind us that the purpose of repentance is our restoration. Did you hear that? The purpose of repentance is for our restoration. The call to repentance is a call to reach out to a caring God in hope. It's an invitation to leave the sin in our life and join a God who actually loves us. What does repentance look like? Well, let me say this. It's not just being sorry. That's way too passive. It's not just being sorry. You see, repentance literally means to turn around. Repentance requires something from us. It requires something. It requires our vulnerability. Like the crippled man, we have to be willing to leave our place of brokenness to be healed. The idea of repentancy, it requires action, not just good intention. And I know that that is tremendously scary. It's a scary thought. For many of us. 
because there's a tendency to think that we come to Christ, we come to God because we're strong. God, I'm, I'm feeling like I have a little bit of a problem here. I'm actually a pretty good person, but I need a supplement. I need a little bit of a, a boost. I can't quite get it. I need a little bit of help. No. In genuine repentance, first, we have to be weak. We have to be weak. We have to go down. We have to be willing to repent from sin. We have to be willing to admit what's wrong with us. We have to be willing to rest completely in the dependence of God. And to some degree, we have to be willing to lose control of our lives. That's repentance. That's repentance. Peter's sermon teaches us that we've done something wrong, but also that we can turn around and we can find grace And we can get right with a living God. And it tells us what the gains of all this are. There's promises there in verses 19 to 20. Firstly, that our sins will be blotted out. Listen, there's forgiveness with Jesus. Amen? Amen. There's forgiveness with Jesus. When we repent, our sin record is erased. It's it's deleted. It's completely wiped out. Secondly, there's times of refreshing and restoration, it says there in verse 20. Those are great words. Restoration, refreshment. Imagine what that looks like in your life this morning. Restoration and refreshment. The third blessing described there is that Jesus will be sent again to his people. A powerful reminder of our and creation's ultimate healing when Jesus returned. And when Jesus returns, sorry. You have, uh, you've been attentive listeners. I know that this is a bit of a heavier message. You've been very attentive. We're going to close here. This morning, I believe that God is calling some of you. God has the power to heal. Do you believe that this morning? God has the power to heal. God has the power to heal. God loves us. And hear me, friends. God is working for our restoration. God's working for our restoration. He's not working for our destruction. He's working for our restoration. God sees you this morning. God cares about you. God loves you. God knows your deepest needs, and God wants what's best for you. And so this morning, I want us to come to God for healing. We do this every once in a while here at Moncton Wesley, and we'll do it this morning. We want God to heal us, to heal us. Maybe you're here this morning. And you're saying, uh, I have a physical need. I've been praying, been praying for healing. It has not yet come. And I'd like someone to pray for me and anoint me with oil. I want to be made well. If that's you, we're going to actually invite you this morning to, to come forward in a few minutes, right here in front of the platform. As the music plays, pastors will be here to meet with you. We'll pray for your healing. We'd invite you to come so that we can pray for your physical needs. Or maybe this morning you're here and you're saying, Mike, my issue isn't necessarily physical. 
but I'd like that relationship that you're talking about with the loving God. I recognize this morning that I have some sin in my life and I could use some healing. I need a healing in my spirit. I need a a healing in my soul. If that's you, we're glad you're here today. We're going to invite you to come forward. Someone will meet you, will listen, will talk, will pray together. We're going to invite us to stand this morning. We're going to sing. Let me pray for us just before we sing. Father, in a few minutes, some different things will be happening. For some, I know that this will be just ritual. For others, though, we're praying that it will be a powerful moment where the Holy Spirit brings grace and healing to people's souls and bodies. Prepare us for you. In Jesus' name.